you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. All right, well, Luke, um, he starts off his gospel uh, with, with a couple stories that are pretty hard to wrap our, our minds around. So I actually want to read the, the very beginning of Luke, uh, verse 1. This won't be up on the screen. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were, uh, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke has written uh, the Gospel of Luke and Acts um, for this, this man named Theophilus so that Theophilus uh, can know that what he's been taught, that what he's heard about Christ is in fact true. Um, he, he's talked to the eyewitnesses. He's cross-checked facts because he wants Theophilus and now us as readers and hearers of this Gospel to uh, to trust in what we've heard, what we've learned about Jesus. So let's jump in to verse 5 of chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. First Chronicles 24 it explains that the priests were divided up into these divisions. There were 24 divisions. And there, were, there were so many divisions um, uh, this time, uh, when, when your division was on duty, um, it would be, you'd be on duty for one week, and you'd do that two times a year. So your, your work schedule was two weeks out of the year. That's not so bad, huh? Um, he was, we're told, he was from the division of Abijah. Um, and uh, it was, this is weird to us, but it says that it was decided by lots, and, and we, don't, we don't know exactly what the lots were. Scripture tells us, I think it's 70 times we, we read about lots in the gospel, and I always picture like throwing dice or something like that to, to make a decision, but it could have been, it could have been stones, I read it could have been sticks of different sizes that they cast these lots, but this is something that actually in Scripture happened quite often, right? Maybe you remember uh, the apostles when, uh, when they realized, hey, we need to replace Judas. Well, they, they cast lots to find who would replace him. Or if we go way back to the, the, the land, they divided the land through, through lots. And to us, this seems um, so strange. Proverbs 16.33 says, uh, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So they, they knew that it was the Lord that was directing this. It wasn't just random chance, like when I flip a coin, but, but it was the Lord that was directing this. And for Zechariah, it, it was his turn. It was chosen by Lot that he would come and, uh, and burn incense in the temple before the Lord. Um, this would only happen for a priest one day in their life. 
Like this is his one chance to do this, right? So this is a, a big, big deal. Luke tells us that he is a righteous man. So certainly he cared about this. He took this responsibility um, really seriously. Now I'm sure this was very exciting for him, but also terrifying to go into the temple and, and, and do this before the Lord. Uh, the crowd, it says, was gathered outside as he's burning the incense before the Lord. And the incense represents the prayers of Israel. Like the, the whole nation's prayers are represented through this incense. So they're out there praying. And one writer put it this way. At that particular moment, Zechariah was the focal point of the entire Jewish nation. So this is a big, big deal. Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Um, we, we see appearances of angels Many times in scripture, not, not a ton, but, but several times we see this. And I, I wonder if you're like me, that so often um, when, I, when I think of like this, this occurrence or, or one of the other ones where an angel appears before someone, I, I just assume, okay, this is back in the day in the Bible. They, they were used to angels popping up. Uh, they're used to visions. They're, they're just so much more, I guess, open to the supernatural because at modern day we're, we're grounded in, in what we know and science and, you know, I'm not... I don't mean I don't believe in science, you know what I mean. Um, but, but we think that, that, oh, this is no big deal for them. That, that's not the case. It's never the case. Every time someone sees an angel, it freaks them out, right? It, 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 he says, or it says here that, that he's scared, that fear fell upon him. So it's not like this is just another day in the office of a, of a priest, okay? It, this is already a, a different day for him as he gets to do something that I'm sure he's longed for. And now here's this angel and he's terrified, right? Now, now if seeing just an angel would terrify you, imagine actually seeing the Lord himself. God is so much bigger than we understand. We're told that, um, that Zechariah and Elizabeth could not have a baby. And obviously the angel is delivering this news that they would have a baby. He, he says that your prayer has, has been heard. Right? They had wanted a baby for years and years and years. When you, um, or at least my experience, when I got married, um, by then I'd already thought about, about wanting to have kids someday. And, and I think that most of us just kind of think that it's, it's almost a right that, that we, we would be able to have children. Um, um, but, but there is no promise that, that you will be able to have a child. So you, you put yourself in the place of Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and the excitement that I'm sure they felt. Uh, I'm sure they were excited when, when their best friends first got pregnant and excited when, when all of their friends started getting pregnant with their first. 
and I'm sure they, they prayed and, and, and said things like, Lord, help us to trust you with your good timing. And, and then their friends start getting pregnant with their second kid, maybe their third, and, and it, it hurts. And you start to wonder, is there something, is there something wrong with me? Like, did, did I do something? And, and you try not to stress about it, but, but it's stressful. And they certainly prayed. And I, I don't know how long they prayed for. My guess is at some point, maybe they stopped praying because it just got too hard. It just hurt too much. And it's ironic that God had always planned this for them. He'd always planned that, that John would be born to them. And yet to them, it looked like God had answered them no in this prayer for decades. And if they would have had a child years and years before, it no doubt would have been great. It would have been exciting. They would have rejoiced. Their family and friends, everyone would have been excited. But it, it would not have been nearly as significant as the way God was going to do it. The child that God was giving them was coming in his perfect timing for his plan and for their benefit. We need to remember that God knows what is good. All right, even though uh, his way for Zechariah and Elizabeth was hard, it was full of pain. Uh, I'm sure it was uh, at times embarrassing. Um, it sounds like she, she felt like she was uh, disgraced. Uh, this really, really hurt. And God knew that it would hurt before it ever did. But he, he was also committed to and he knew what was best. Throughout the book of Luke, I think he's asking us a question, do you trust God? Do you trust the Lord? And there's, there's a lot of different opportunities, even in these first couple chapters, to ask ourselves that, do we trust God? We, we know, we believe that he knows literally everything, that he possesses all wisdom, that there's, there's no, no comparison to his intellect. We also know that we are incredibly limited. We know so very little. Our wisdom is finite. Our, uh, our intellect, we don't even know if it should be called intellect. Um, but God knows what is absolutely the best all the time. Now, from our vantage point, we can look into uh, circumstances and, and we, we could say, wow, oh, this is the, the worst thing ever. Or, or, no, God, this would be the best way to do it. And, and even if we're not trying to do that, I think, I think that's just something that we're constantly doing and, and we're, we're judging whether, whether God is really good, whether God really knows what he's doing. We would do well to confess that we really don't know that much and that God truly is all-knowing, and that in everything he does, he's good. God, is, God has never once been late. Right? His timing in every circumstance in life is absolutely perfect, and this is no different. Well, Zechariah has given um, some specifics on this child. Verse 13, he's told, you're going to name him John, and John means God is gracious. Verse 14, he says that, that you'll rejoice at this, right? There will be joy, gladness. Many will rejoice at you at John's birth. And we would expect that probably with just about any birth. And, and yet Luke does something interesting with joy throughout his writing. He, he connects joy so often with salvation. In, verse, uh, in chapter 15 of Luke, three different times, he connects joy and rejoicing when, when, some, when something that was lost is found. 
So when, when Luke says there's joy, this doesn't mean it's just happiness. He's connecting this with salvation. Verse 15 it says he'll be great before the Lord, which we'll come back to. Then it says he won't drink wine. He won't have strong drink. He, he's going to be focused. He's going to be really, really focused on his mission. The angel tells him that the Holy Spirit will be in him from the womb, which we'll get to in a bit. Verse 16 says, many Israelites will turn to the Lord because of John and that he'll come in the spirit and the power of Elijah the prophet. So Luke, um, he's helping the readers, I think in a lot of ways, think back to some promises in the Old Testament. Think of Malachi chapter four, uh, verses five and six. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then later, um, much later in the chapter, after John is born, Zechariah prophesies. And, and I'm pretty confident that he had uh, Malachi 3.1 in mind. He says this, as he prophesies, he, he says that John will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. And this is what Malachi 3.1 says. Behold, I send my messenger he will prepare the way before me. The Lord uh, whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Luke wants us to know this was God's plan, right? He didn't just come up with this, you know, just before they were going to get pregnant. This, this was his plan. He, he's laid this out beforehand. Um, many of us, when we think of John the Baptist, we probably think of Isaiah 40, uh, verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed all, and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, if you've ever doubted something uh, from God, you're in good company because here's Zechariah who we're told is righteous, right? He's blameless in his walk, not meaning he's without sin, but, but his heart is fully after God. And then on this day that the Lord has set up for him to get this incredible news, Zechariah doubts. He doesn't, he doesn't believe. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years, which husbands, we know that, that this man has lived a while, that he has some wisdom. He calls himself old. He does not say that about his wife. He says she's advanced in years. I don't know how he learned that lesson, but I trust that he did. Anyway, Zechariah says, I need some proof. What you're telling me is crazy, right? This sounds impossible because as I look around, I don't see old people getting pregnant. This isn't possible. How can I trust that God will do this? Now, next week, we're going to look at, uh, at Mary and, and the angel and the news. And, and Mary asks a question too, but it's very different and it's received very differently here than Zechariah. Zechariah doubts, right? There's some unbelief here. This is what the angel says in verse 19. I'm Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Now, if we knew our Old Testament, it's like I guarantee Zechariah did. As soon as he said, I am Gabriel, his jaw would have dropped. Right? It's, it's crazy that he's seen an angel. It's unbelievable that this angel is Gabriel. The last time we see Gabriel is way back in Daniel chapter 9. When Daniel Daniel had been praying for the nation of Israel, the salvation of Israel, and the angel Gabriel comes and and he tells him, your prayers have been heard and your prayers will be answered. And now fast forward, here's Gabriel with, with some more news. Right, about uh, ultimately about the salvation of Israel. So he hears that this is Gabriel, and this is a big, big deal. It's possible, and I don't know this, but it's possible that just by finding out this is Gabriel, he might now believe. Because God doesn't just send Gabriel out on, on little missions. Verse 20, And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So this sure looks to me like there's, there's a consequence here for his unbelief, right? He's going to now, uh, he's going to be mute. He won't be able to speak for nine months for this, this whole pregnancy. Um, I, also, I also wonder if there's some grace in this consequence as well. Because every day when he could not speak, he would be reminded that the angel told me I would not be able to speak. This has come true, what the angel said. And I wonder if that little reminder helped bolster his confidence over those months that what the angel told him about his son would also be true, which encourages me to hold on to even the little tiny things that God gives me, the reminders that he gives me that he is faithful, that he is good, that he is with me, to hold on when things are much harder to believe. Anyway, Zechariah eventually leaves the temple and apparently it had been a really long time because everyone's kind of worried. They're wondering, is he okay in there? He gets out. Obviously, he's not able to speak, but somehow he communicates to them that something happened. And they said, oh, he must have seen a vision. Well, he he had to communicate this to Elizabeth as well. And and I cannot imagine having to write it all out when you just want to speak it to your wife, to tell her this incredible news that that you never thought would come. But he, he, he clearly did that because she even knew when it was time for his birth that his name was to be John. But I, I just, I wonder what it was like for her to take all this in, right? For, for all this pain to get resurfaced of not being able to have a child and then wondering if this could be true and hoping that it would be true. On verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Well, later, like I said in Luke 1, Gabriel is going to visit Mary, and he's going to tell her about a miraculous pregnancy, that the Holy Spirit will come upon her, that she will conceive a son, that this son isn't just any son, that this is the son of God, this is the Messiah. He'll rule on the throne of David forever. And then he tells Mary, your relative Elizabeth, she's pregnant right now too. So Mary goes over to Elizabeth's house 
and she stays with her for three months. And when Mary, when Mary comes in, Elizabeth says that, that in her belly, John leaps for joy. Right? I, I remember um, when my wife was pregnant with our first, I remember the first time she's like, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? I'm like, no, I didn't see anything. I wasn't staring at your belly. Um, and, and she has me stare. And then suddenly you see, I don't know if it's an elbow, a foot, I don't know what it is, but just this whoosh, right across. And you're like, that's unbelievable. It, it, absolutely incredible. Now I'm sure as the woman, eventually that gets old, like in the middle of the night, especially probably when you're trying to sleep. But, but to see your baby move, it's, it's incredible. But even with that, there's something different here. There, there's already this connection, right? The angel said the Holy Spirit's going to dwell John even in the womb. And there's this connection here where John's excited about Jesus already, even though neither of them are born. Well, eventually it comes time for John to be born. And um, because, uh, obviously, because Elizabeth was advanced in years, I mean, word had spread, right? She, she couldn't go out without people going, man, that lady's really advanced in years and she's pregnant. How, how'd that work, right? And people start talking in a small town. Everyone knows and, and they know like this is different. So after he was born, the, the, the people there said, well, you'll name him Zechariah, right? After the father, and Elizabeth's like, no, no, we're naming him John. And they're, they're all confused. They're saying, nobody in your family's named John. Why, why, would, you, why would you name them John? And, and Zechariah, he can't speak yet, but he writes out, like, no, he, he is to be named John. And, and then suddenly Zechariah can speak. And, and he, he ends up prophesying, which we'll, we'll get to in a little bit about, about John. But first, um, verse 65 it says, and fear came on all their neighbors. And these things were talked about through all the country of Judea. And all who heard him laid, uh, laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was on him. And eventually many of these people would come to the river to be baptized by John himself. And, and I wonder how many of them, when they heard that John was baptizing, how many of them remembered back, like, wasn't this the guy who, who, was, who was born you know, really old parents? And, and didn't I hear some rumor about his dad being in the temple and supposedly seeing an angel? Well, man, what? Who is this man as they come out to be baptized? No doubt that, that some had heard about the prophecy that, that, uh, that Zechariah spoke. I'll read some of it for you, starting in verse 76 about John. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. John, John was tasked to prepare the way for Jesus, to prepare people's hearts for the Christ that Jesus was coming, the one who would save anyone who trusted in him as their savior. 
that they wouldn't have to remain in darkness, they wouldn't have to remain in death, but instead they could have peace with their creator through the blood of Christ. Now, I'm grateful that, uh, that Luke gives us this prophecy here um, because of what it says about John, how it points to Jesus, but also I think it reminds all of us of something. Uh, Zechariah was this man who had been following God for a long, long time, a righteous man. And, and, and here's this, the biggest moment in his life. God straight up sends him an angel and Zechariah doesn't believe, right? He, he doubts. And, and it's, it's a big enough doubt that there's, there's this consequence here. But God doesn't throw him to the wayside there, right? God, God uses him still to prophesy about John. Uh, I just want us to remember there is there's so much grace with God, right? We, we are, um, I think as Christians, we, uh, we have this feeling that we always have to believe everything. And, and, and in fact, sometimes if we have doubts, we try and hide that from other Christians because we don't want them to think we're not, I don't know, a super Christian or, or something like that. Man, doubts are, are so normal. Are we to believe? Yes, we're totally to believe, but there needs to be room for our doubts. And, and clearly here, even though, even though he should have trusted God, God still shows Zechariah grace here. And, and, and over that time of not being able to speak, God is working in his heart and he gives him this faith that at, at the end of the pregnancy, he's able to prophesy this incredible thing full of confidence in what the Lord is doing. Believing in Christ, it's a daily exercise. It's a daily choice to say, yes, I trust that you are Lord and that you are worthy of following. Let's get back to John though. So uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they knew their kid was extraordinary, right? Like we all think our kid's great. Their kid was great, <laughs> okay? Um, they, they knew, even the people around them knew that there was something special about this child. And they speculated about what it, what it could mean. And for, for hundreds of years, that there'd been, there'd been no new news, right, about the Messiah. And suddenly there's, there's new talk of the Messiah. Well, Gabriel and Jesus both had... Uh, really high opinion of John the Baptist. Gabriel tells us in verse 15 that he will be great before the Lord. And I wonder, is that where we want to be great? Is it before the Lord? Is it in his opinion that, that we care most about? I think that most of us aim too low, that, that we want to be great uh, among our friends or our coworkers. We want to be great in our career. Maybe you want to be great uh, online, on, on social media. Matthew eleven eleven. this is what Jesus said about John. He said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. God sees greatness so differently than we do. Right? Our measure our measurement for greatness is not like Jesus' measurement. John never owned a home. He was not wealthy. He wasn't married. He didn't have kids. He had no fashion sense. He didn't eat extraordinary food. He didn't have that many friends. People in high places hated him. His life ended early because he was killed. He spent his final days in prison. Jesus measures greatness so differently than we do. Jesus says, among those born of women, and if you haven't had coffee yet, that's everyone. 
among those born of women, there had been none greater than John the Baptist, not Abraham, not Moses, not King David. We, I think we care so much about the wrong kind of greatness. Does your measure of greatness line up with Jesus' measure of greatness? I think we value the wrong things so often. What if what you uh, place value on in this life has no value in eternity? And I'm not asking that question just to people that don't believe in Jesus, Christians. What, what if what you value in this life has no value in eternity? Uh, if someone is truly a believer in Christ, I'm quite sure that the enemy would be so pleased to distract that person for the rest of their life on this earth from God, to lull them into this apathetic Christianity, right? To be, to be a, maybe a really good, moral, upstanding citizen that, that, that doesn't cheat, that doesn't, doesn't lie on their taxes, that does you know, everything the right way and is content chasing the American dream totally ethically. And greatness, according to scripture, is the life devoted to Christ. John was content being a nobody. Right? He had the platform to be someone. As the crowds came to him, he deferred all of it onto Christ and pointed to Jesus. So are you content being a nobody, hoping that everybody will see Jesus? I wonder about the kids in your life, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, or an uncle. The kids in your life, what do you want for them? Are you trying to mold them into greatness like the world, or are you looking at greatness like Jesus did? John didn't fall for what the culture valued, right? He, he was not distracted by the hype of what the world thought mattered. And if we're honest, we're all so susceptible to our culture. Right? It's, it's absolutely amazing. If any of us, if we looked at a picture from like 10, 20 years ago, we'd laugh at what we were wearing then, right? And, and somehow, some fashion person said that was cool, and we all bought it. And now 20 years later, that's not cool, and we bought that. Like, we are so susceptible to what our culture thinks. Uh, someone recently said, or I heard recently uh, someone say that, that we are always being discipled by something. Right? Are, are you being discipled by Jesus, or are you being discipled by this world? Well, John didn't fall for it. Christians, are we... Are we being discipled by this world and what the world values? Well, the answer, at least to some degree, is probably yes. We we run after things that aren't necessarily bad, except we place too much value on them. We want to be comfortable or, or we say, I want my retirement to to be this way. I I want to travel. I want to do this or that. We we run after what the world tells us is good instead of trusting in Jesus. Well, John had a laser-like focus. He was born to be the forerunner of Christ, to prepare the, the way of the Lord so that many would turn to him. Now, I'm willing to bet that, that uh, an angel didn't appear to your dad and tell you you were going to be born, right? There's no, there's no special prophecy about you. Um, and, and, and yet, if you know Christ, we're told that your birth, your rebirth, was supernatural, right? That, that God had to do something totally unique. The Holy Spirit had to open your eyes to the truth of the gospel so that you would know him. So even though we're, 
our, our physical birth doesn't match John's. We have a spiritual birth that is absolutely incredible, that is done by the hands of God. And I think like John, we have a mission to tell this world about Jesus. It's not the same as John. Obviously, Jesus has already come. But I wonder if, if your heart beats for other people to be made ready to know Christ, for other people to come to know him as their Lord. And I think this year, this time of the year might be the easiest time. All right? it, it fascinates me that, that God has made it that within our American culture, Christmas is such a big deal still. Right? That, that, that through songs, through movies, through little kid plays at schools, like, there will be people that hear about Jesus, at least to some degree. There would be people that come to churches all over the place on Christmas and Christmas Eve that would probably never set foot in a church at any other time of the year, maybe Easter, and they will hear about Jesus. Are we ready? Are we ready to talk about Christ? Are we ready to talk about the hope that we have, the Jesus that we know and trust? Are we ready to help make people prepared for the Lord? to respond to him. Verse 17 said, John came to make ready for the Lord, a people prepared. If you don't know Jesus today, I wonder, are you ready to respond to him? Are, are you ready to turn to Christ, the one who died for you, so that you could live your life with him forever, being totally forgiven of your sin? He gives you his righteousness in place of your sin. Are you ready to trust him? If you do know Christ, are you ready for his return? Are you eager? Are you eager to be a part of what God is doing in, in gathering people for when he returns to make them his own? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. I thank you that, that even within our culture, really, I mean, this whole month is, is getting excited about, about Christmas, which we know, Lord, is actually about you. Lord, I pray for our hearts, God, that, that you would show us the ways that, that we value just what the world values and where we, where we don't value what your kingdom values, Lord. God, would you change our hearts and make us a people that, that are an Advent people, that are ready and excited about your return, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.